There's such a thing, I believe, that we would benefit in the Lord by not being in a hurry in worship. I, what I'm saying is that sometimes there's a tendency, human tendency, to want to move, rush forward, rush forward to the next thing. The good news is God knows every heart, every one of us, everyone out there. He knows what's on your heart. He knows what's troubling you. And granted, there will be days where we'll have more trouble. Some days are more trouble. We don't always understand. So I'm reading through the Old Testament. Now I begin Job. Oh boy. The book of Job. Have you read it at least? Have you read it recently? You have. Interesting. Job was tested beyond what I would ever want to be tested. Besides losing his family, his, all his children, his living, his livestock, at that time that was the business, he lost his health. He ached, his bones hurt, and the boils that were on him, top of his head to the soles of his feet would be enough to drive an average man insane. Instead, he sat in the ashes. Not to gross anyone out, but it was, it was really, really bad. He itched. He said he took a potter, a broken piece of pottery to rape himself. And now he has all that going on, and then his so-called friends came along. You, you have, you've had a few. Maybe they would try to give you advice, or give you reason why you're going through what you're going through. And of course, all this didn't help him. Eventually, Job, and I'll, you, you read, you've got to read the whole story. You've got, to read, you've got to read it to the end, because if you just stop in the middle, you'll, 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 be, you'll be discouraged. But God came through for Job at the end and gave him twice as much that he had in the beginning. He, he doubled the portion. So Job lived on, it says, uh, another many, many years, I think it was 140, that he lived on to be a ripe old age, as a matter of fact. But when you're in the fire, when you're in the testing, that's, that's a tough place to be. But every one of us have a potential of coming out stronger because Jesus Christ 
demonstrated to you and I, even while he was on this earth, that he, he came to this earth, he knew he was going to die, he knew that he was going to be crucified, he knew that he was going to become sin, give his life. Yet we know that on the other side of the cross, there is a resurrection. And just as Job went through the fire, on the other side of the fire, there was a new day. And I would like to say it, a day of restoration. And wouldn't it be great to see a little restoration in our nation? Wouldn't it be great to see a little restoration, a little returning back to the things that are the foundational truths of who we are in the church and the founding fathers of our nation who stood on the principles of God's word? Let us pray, if we would, if we will, that God would move upon this nation to return to the things that are foundational. I should say a hearty, hear a hearty amen. Amen? You're with me. Reviewing a bit back to 1 Peter chapter 3, we dealt just a little bit with the subject of uh, uh, chapter 3, dealt with if a wife had an unsaved husband, an unbelieving husband. Peter writes to them and gives some Give some direction. Verse 1, I'm reviewing now. We're not going to go all the way back through this last week's message, but help bring you up to speed. He said, don't preach to them. Just live it. Demonstrate it. And then verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Backing up to verse 1. Chapter 3 of 1 Peter. There'll be one without a word. Isn't that a great verse? There'll be one without a word. There are many people in our lives that we would like to see to come, come to Christ. I'm sure that you have maybe even family members that you would love to see really come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that's very important I believe is that the word teaches we must love people even though they may not be what what the Bible says is supposed to be. In other words, do we love people for who they are? Are we willing to pay the price, so to speak, to win them over? to love them beyond, even as God loved us when we were still in our sins. Romans teaches, by the way, Vern is doing a great job of teaching the book of Romans on Wednesdays. We get into the meat and stuff, meaty stuff of, of the Bible. Romans is really a foundational book of the scriptures. And it's good, because Peter described earlier in his text, in chapter 2, that we are to be like newborn babes and long for the pure milk of the word, but there comes a time when we move from the newborn, newborn babe to a, a more mature person in the Lord. 
and we want to dig into the, more the depth of, of the Word of God, that we might find the things that are, that are deep-seated. And I, I, I kind of had a little fun with Melchizedek because most people, like me, can't pronounce the name Harley rather than really know what, who is this guy. He was a, a priest and mentioned in Hebrews. And the reason he's mentioned, he's mentioned because he's a type of Christ. Now, Old Testament, let me just throw a few things out. Well, some will say, well, that was Old Testament. That's just stuff that's way back. Listen, God didn't throw away the Old Testament. It's a fact that many windows into the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there are many windows that we see Christ. For example, Noah and the ark, right? going to come up here in the third chapter about a little bit about Noah because the ark represented Jesus who came to save us. That ark was built over a period of a hundred years. Imagine you being Noah going to work building an ark, and you've never seen rain. You've never heard of it. All you know is you have God's word on it that you need to prepare because there's a flood coming. So God, uh, Noah acted upon that word. Now, bringing you back, husbands and wives, God's best for husbands and wives, God's best is that both be believers. But that's not always the case. So what he's saying, you do the best you can to make it work. What Paul wrote in another place, you do the best you can to make it work. But sometimes, even that, sometimes it doesn't work. We have to still keep trusting God, keep turning it over to the Lord. You see, God knows your heart. And he knows when you've tried with all your heart to make something work, but it just wasn't going to happen, or someone else made a bad choice. And so I'm not going to get deep into that, but let me just say this. God wants us to try to work our relationships out. Sometimes it's very challenging. Now, I'm fine. In my home, I believe we're, we're doing okay. We're getting along. Don't think, well, the pastor must be having troubles here today. He's talking about Getting along, you know, this guy vulnerable is stepping out on this limb here. I don't like conflict, you know, that's some of the quicks. Listen, no family is without conflict of some degree. No relationship will be without a degree of conflict because we all have different ideas. We maybe have different opinions. Different thoughts on things. But to sum it all up, in this verse 8, this is a classic. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, to sum up, it just said it. In other words, this is like, let me put it into a nutshell. Let me say it like this. Let all be harmonious. What a wonderful, beautiful sound when there's harmony. There's a blending of 
of supporting, especially when it comes to music, and have out in our day-to-day walk when we, we build up each other, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, well, that will take you a long ways. Not thinking more highly of yourself, as it says in another place, as you ought to. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. You know what that does? Proverbs says, uh, an argument, when it gets to a point where we're just shouting, we're just shouting, you're not going to get anywhere. He says, abandon the argument before the water breaks out. In other words, before it really gets bad. <laughs> and so we learn how to, to disagree. We learn how to challenge maybe our thinking. But that doesn't mean we need to be separated or down on one or the other because of it. Our goal in this Christian life, this Christ centered life or this following after Jesus is to build up one another and sometimes that is speaking the truth and just simple love. Right? This is what we believe, this is what the Bible says. We want to hold to that. At the same time we're demonstrating kind-heartedness, respect, loving. I believe it says in Romans, maybe burn you, you know the text right off, it says, oh no man, nothing except through love. Oh no man, nothing except. That's the only thing we're indebted to. Love. Love goes beyond. Love goes beyond. A, and this is later in this little First Peter chapter 4, love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't necessarily, not, not saying that we just let, let sin, you know, no, no big deal, but love loves people in spite of we, what we may see or what we may understand. Love sees the potential. Everyone has potential to become better with Christ. Maybe to move them on to another another number in the scale of 1 to 10. So now we're going to kind of jump in verse 13. That's kind of the where it's kind of the way we left off a little bit. It says, "When who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good?" He asks this question, but if even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Oh, that little word, suffer. Suffer for righteousness. Didn't Jesus, sounds a little familiar what Jesus said on his Sermon of the Mount, that blessed are you when men cast insults at you. Remember that? And he even brought it to another place, Love those who persecute you. Pray for the for your enemy. Oh boy. Um, I may have to ask myself this. When's the last time I prayed for my enemies? Well, I have to think now, who are my enemies? I don't know. 
I don't know if I maybe just people that don't believe what you believe and want to make it hard on you. Maybe in the workplace, there may be things that you feel you're being persecuted because of who you stand for. And so my response is this. You are blessed, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. That tells you right there what the enemy wants to do in your lives is to intimidate you. Come on. Get you to say, oh boy. He wants to mess with your mind. He wants you to get to think on negative thoughts. He wants you to think on the worst. He wants you to begin to waffle and fear, and this came over and over again for the people of God in Israel whenever they were facing the enemy. Often, so often, we are just but grasshoppers. Probably right. But our God, but our God, as a young man, David, you come, Goliath, taunting me, <laughs> telling the people of God that they're, they're no good. It's intimidation, intimidation, intimidation. There's a spirit of an intimidation in the, in the, in the world today. There's a spirit of antichrist, which happens to be this, this sense that everything that Christ stands for, let's throw it away. Every, everything that has to do with God and who the true God is, we, who, the enemy wants to tear down. The real enemy is not people. The real enemy is Satan. And he has so many that are held captive to do his work. But guess, you know what the, you know what the word says? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You read that in verse. He's destroying the works of the devil. He's tearing down the strongholds of the enemy. He brings to light. I thought, this thought came to me. So once in a while I get a thought. It's really not that profound, but it's, you know. Light always exposes darkness. Well, Pastor, that's really, that's really deep. Yeah. Well, think about it this way. When people get squirmish, when they feel like they're going to be found out about. Oh. The humanity wants to hide their faults, their sins. The kingdom of God says, expose them, and I will take care of it. Expose it to me. Confess it to me. Bring it to me. 
and I will take it and get rid of it, and I will change you, and I will give you a new heart. And so what we're getting into here is that what's in our heart is either real or it's just not real. And no one can ever, ever deceive our Lord. We may be able to look good if we'd like to and pretend to be good, but the Lord knows. And you read other portions of scriptures, for example, in the book of James, that little powerful, packed, spirit-filled book of James that starts out in the first chapter about trials that counted all joy. And we get to the third chapter, he's dealing with the tongue. Oh my goodness, he says that little member of the body, that little restless full of deadly poison. Who can tame the tongue? Read a few verses, James 3, 10 to 12. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren. Those things ought not to be that way. For the fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. What's it saying? We can't say one thing and do another. We can't say we are Christ followers, we are Christ-like, and then we are beating up somebody over here. And we're, we're, not, we're not genuine. We're having struggles. And here's the good part. The Lord can tame our tongue. Because he can change our heart. He can take that which is... I read that I've been reading, I started reading back last early, early winter, late, late winter, spring, a book on revivals in Minnesota. Minnesota! Okay? And it was interesting to me because there's a logging era. You probably weren't around so much. Maybe just some of the end time of it. But the logging era in the turn of the century, the 18, late 1800s into the early 1900s, there the, the, the woods was full of camps. And in these camps were men that were tough as nails, worked with saw and axe as, and, and beasts, oxen and horses, they were up early, they worked, they ate their breakfast, they went to the woods, they worked all day, came back for another meal, and then, can you imagine? That's always been intriguing me, intriguing to me, that era. And what I've read was astounding. I, mean, I won't mention names, but there was a couple of fellas, one of them especially, who was actually uh, had a bad reputation. He was more like an outlaw. And for somehow, and for some reason, his father, and that was probably the reason, 
just communicated, threw him out on his, his face when he was, he was suffering in a break in a leg, broken leg. Just a horrendous story. And this man found, found a person that was evangelizing in these camps, and he prays for this guy, and this guy comes to Christ, and then he becomes a, an evangelist to the logging camps. And men would come to listen. And revival would break out. And the men in the woods, in the north woods, many of them became converted because there was someone who God raised up to go to them. You see, it's so scriptural. It's so scriptural. We read it in Romans. How will they hear unless someone is sent? How will they understand unless someone tells them? And how will they understand unless someone lives the life before them? Friends, your greatest, your greatest tool for evangelizing is your daily walk. People will notice how you react to things. People will notice a kind deed. People will be floored that you did something out of the blue. You would notice that. You maybe even just as much gave them a smile. Isn't it nice now we can see smiles again? The last thing instead of liquid. There's another message right there, that whole mask thing. You know, we've been without the physical mask. We can wear a mask. You know what I'm talking about. We can be kind of not so good, but we say, oh, we're great. How you doing? Oh, great. But maybe not so great. And here's the deal. I don't believe that we need to expose everything to everybody or anybody, but I believe in the body of Christ. If you have one person, maybe two, that you believe there's a brother or sister I could could pour my heart out to, and they wouldn't condemn me. They would listen to me, and they would only be an encouragement. They wouldn't try to fix me. They would just have compassion, and they would just begin to say, you know what? You're not the only one. And I can understand to a certain court. You see, this is what it comes down to. Do we love people because they're people? Or do we love people because we want them just to be with us in our group? What I'm getting at is Jesus had no walls. He tore walls down. Let me explain. He would, yeah, he would eat with the sinners. He would go where the sick people were. He would go where the, the people that were outcasts, the lepers. He would touch those kinds of people. That's the, that's the gospel. And so when it comes down to when Jesus was crucified toward the end as he was being led to the slaughter, it says he uttered no threats. 
He was like a lamb who came before the shears. And he says he gave himself up. In the verse we read in verse 14 of 1 Peter 3, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. You know, in the Old, the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there's a place where the disciples said, we were, they were rejoicing because they got beat up. Remember that? Because they were considered worthy of being persecuted. That's a different way of thinking than maybe I think. My old Norwegian, oh my, why is life so hard? Why, why me? Amen. We want to be more like Jesus, right? Paul prayed that prayer. He wrote that in the book of Philippians that I made verse uh, 10 of chapter 3 of Philippians that I may know him. The power of his resurrection. That's, a, that's, that's huge. But wait, wait a minute. Well, I'll read the rest of the verse. And the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't want to sound so good. Right? No, I don't like that part. I like the power of his resurrection, you know, the conquering. But if we're going to follow Christ, there's a cross. Let's not water it down. Let's say it, let's speak it as it is. There's a cross. That means that not every, every person is going to like you. Oh, my goodness. It's okay. We just keep... Love covers a multitude of sins. We're going to have to pick this up next time, but this, this whole little next section, verse 8, has become a powerful, in the fourth chapter, I'm skipping it down, quite a, just a preview of this next section. Love covers a multitude of sins. How many need that love right now? Maybe you just need well, I don't know how I'm going to get through this next week. I don't know how I'm going to make it in my situation. There is some people, they're, they got some strange way of thinking, or they're, they're just, you know, you could go on and on and on. I mean, all of a sudden, the world seems like, wow, it's not a safe place anymore. It's crazy. We're dealing with stuff that's just escalating. The world is, without Christ, is in trouble. Well, let's breathe. Let's believe, not breathe, but breathe in the Lord, but believe on the Lord. Let's believe what he said. Let's believe that God is for the church. Let's believe, as Romans says, we are made more than conquerors. And you have a purpose.
Holy Spirit will give you the words. Jesus said that. If you're drugged before leaders, Peter, I didn't read it, but it was in that chapter. He said, whoever one who asks you to give an account, have a, have a, have a, be able to defend your faith. You see, it has to be in here, not just here. It has to be deep within you. I didn't read the verse, but it talked about sanctifying Christ. To me, that is sanctifying. You are, Christ has a special place. Only he can fill. Let's sing this song. And uh, then we're going to come back. Let's conclude with prayer. Let's stand one more time, if you will. Let's take a moment to 